the Blue Bomber Podcast. That is, wow, that's fantastic. I like that. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at cjob.com. It's the Blue Bomber Podcast, Greg Mackling, and the voice of your Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Derek Taylor, wasn't prepared. Oh, wait, you were prepared, always, for the podcast and the broadcast. Were you prepared to see what you saw in Saturday afternoon in Hamilton? 29 points for the Tiger Cats, 23 points for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Absolutely not. Not even at all. (laughs) Uh, I remember we had a talk with Evan Holm and uh, it was because last year that game was his first start ever in the CFL and uh, he said you know on kind of unprompted during that interview he said yeah we weren't really ready for it and, la, 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 and our prep was bad and I'm like okay so they they at least here's one person who acknowledged it they'll be better this year because lesson learned last year right so we thought no. <laughs> yeah. it, I it's it's amazing right um Coach O'Shea said on the coach's show he doesn't think there's anything to it, but into the last five bye weeks, they've lost four of those games. They beat Edmonton this year, but they lost all three last year, and they lost this one. You go, well, you've only had seven losses in the last two years, and four of them came into bye weeks, which are very small. You know, I, 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 don't, even, I don't even understand. Like, I just I can't really process or I can't understand not having played the game at that level. I, I don't understand how you can get out physicaled as as the coach said on a couple of occasions when you know everything that happened to you last year. I just I don't I kind of don't get it. Okay, well, here's a question and uh apologies I've not listened to the entire coach's show from last night, but I have listened to a big part of it. And you could argue your most physical guy at least on the offensive side of the ball, it's not even close in my mind, is Brady Oliveira. Nine carries on Saturday. They moved away from that running game pretty, pretty, pretty quick. Yeah, I I don't know what other, if they had a real other option because the, I mean, those nine carries, they went for 46 yards, but after that 17-yarder, you're now talking eight for 30 yards, right? So it wasn't it wasn't getting them in great situations. We could go through Brady's runs, but if they if they're putting you consistently in second and eight and second and seven because Hamilton's trying to take it away and showing you that they're taking it away and daring you to beat them with the other stuff, then there's really not much that you can do, right? Like the running game is we our offense moves bodies out of the way and we have it schemed so our guy can be at top speed when he hits the line. And if, if they're determined to take it away, they're, they're going to be able to, it's, it's exactly what I would have hoped for if I was the, the bombers, because, well, the pass game is pretty, pretty good. But uh, yeah, like, did you, did you see a problem in, in them not having, you know, I mean, I don't know how else you, I don't know how you you get the the run game going if if Hamilton's determined that they're not going to let you do it. Well, I guess if the ultimate conclusion is part of the problem on Saturday was you got out physicaled 
well, then why go away yeah. from something uh, when you know that it's in your offensive line to dominate the other side's defensive line? I mean, we can give lots of credit to Hamilton for doing what they did, and Brady's not in the business of backing down, so I'm not sure why the Blue Bombers uh, back down on that front. It's just it's interesting to me because on Saturday I kept saying, you know, give Brady the ball, at least give him a, an opportunity to try and set a tone. I, I know he had some problems coming out of the backfield. He dropped a couple of passes, but I I, I don't think yeah. he was in purgatory. Like that's not why they were giving weren't giving him the ball. I, I don't think anybody was upset with him on, on those fronts. Well, the, the, for one, the physical part of the run game isn't the running back, right? Like Brady is a very physical runner, but it's those five guys plus in front of him that make up that physical component in my mind. But here's Brady's carries. First and 10, he gets three yards. First and uh, first and seven, so first and goal from the seven, he gets two yards. Second and two, he gets three yards. First and 10, he gets four yards. And then first and goal from the nine, he gets four yards. Um, there are other spots you could have run him, but... If on first and 10, and then, yeah, incomplete pass with a drop, and that was his first half. And you go, hmm. If you're, if you're at halftime, you go, okay, well, we need, we need to unlock this with some better stuff. But it, the run game is not particularly helping us by putting us in second and seven. And, you know, the pass offense in Kolaris is, uh, you know, among the league's best in second and long situations. But I, I don't think the I don't think the running back run game was particularly helping them in the early stage of that. Fair. And that's come fair. out in – Go ahead. Um, but it, it just felt as though we were going. The bombers were going back to what we talked about prior to the banjo bowl, and that was the fact. You know, we lauded the blue bombers for being patient, for spreading the ball around six, seven, mm-hmm. eight yard, ten, eleven, twelve yard passes, not the home run ball. And the bombers have been guilty. I'll put it in quotation marks because it, it it works. So so guilty. It has a sort of a modified definition in my mind, but they have been guilty of living and breathing off the deep ball at times. And that's certainly what they did Saturday. I mean, the deep ball was working really, really well in that first half. And and even in parts of that second half, you eliminate what we saw from Sergio Castillo, an absolutely unusual performance cool. by him. One of the most uncommon plays in the Canadian Football League, a missed convert, returned for two points. And then Zach Kolaris with those three interceptions, including... You know, the first throw on what looked as though it could be Zach's, I think, 32nd comeback win as a quarterback in the CFL. So uh, things just just didn't necessarily go according to script on several different fronts. Yeah, for for sure. Yeah, seventh time uh, since they changed the convert rule in 2015. Seventh convert that's gone back for a defensive two-point convert. The last four have involved the Bombers. Oddly enough, uh, there was Terry Williams last year in the West Final taking one back as well. Um, I just I just had to pull up uh, Brady's first and second half stats from the last few weeks. Uh, man, ninety three yards against Sask, sixty two in the in the Labor Day game, eighty three against Montreal, seventy three in the first half against Calgary. It, it was a I guess I didn't notice that in the moment, but it was a pretty dramatic change the way the way Hamilton was able to affect the run game in that first half because they'd been 240, 300, almost 75 yards, more than 75 yards every first half from Brady. Wow. But then you had games like Ottawa where he was five for one yard and six for 26 against Edmonton the first time. Man, that was that was dramatic. That uh, 
that makes me even more convinced Hamilton went, you know what, we have to take away this run game. And then go, which seems entirely counterintuitive to me because the pass game should be so prolific. But every once in a while, someone was on the, the coach's show yesterday talking about Zach taking risks and, and hated it. And I think there was something that the caller had missed. But every once in a while, Zach's going to have one of those games, right? When you push the, when you push small edges, you're going to get bitten sometimes. And uh, he got bitten in this game uh, trying to trying to make things work. Yeah, I think you're right when it comes to working in those small edges, those small windows that quarterbacks work. And I think we forget, you know, it, it, it's, uh, it's played on a 110-yard long field, but it's still a game of inches, and so often it is the the inches and the, and the plays here and there that you know a drop pass or a play that could have been an interception. And speaking of interceptions, I called that Evan Holm interception. You know th- that could have been, should have been, in my mind, the turning point of that game. Hamilton going in for for another score that would have widened their lead, and Evan Holm comes up with a huge interception. And uh, th- that really should have ended up being your uh, fill-in-the-blank turning point. Absolutely. Yeah, that was one. And then uh, the fumble that Brandon Alexander recovered, you went, oh, boy. Okay, the defense has been, you know, pushed around a little bit, but here they come now. And now they've given the offense the chance, and it just they couldn't get everything to uh, to click together, unfortunately. It was, uh, yeah, uh, it was uh, unexpected <laughs> all the way around. How... Could you imagine? Could you believe how good uh, Taylor Powell, the Hamilton Tiger Cats quarterback, looked, and how how good Scott Milanovich, their offensive coordinator, was able to make him look against the number one defense in the Canadian Football League? I guess I'm supposed to say yes because <laughs> that's you know that's their third quarterback, right? He's their third quarterback on their depth chart. Yep, he's not their backup. I, he's the backup to the backup. And even Bo Levi Mitchell, and we can debate, and we won't hear. You know, you can debate whether or not uh, it was it was manifest de- destiny that that Bo Levi Mitchell was going to struggle anyway. Perhaps he's just at the end of his career, and we'll never see the old Bo Levi again. Uh, but just this idea that you're seeing these third string quarterbacks across the league do some things that third string quarterbacks simply aren't able to do maybe you know once in a while guys just need an opportunity Powell looked incredibly comfortable and the zip on his ball the way he he read the blue bombers defenses and his ability to scramble just like we see with uh with Dustin Crum in Ottawa just that wild card that that the the blue bombers just were unable to stop at times yeah, I, I was trying to, in the post-game show, think of, okay, who does this guy try reminding me of? And I, I don't know, like, I don't know that I came up with anybody, but he had, like, a Travis Lule level of composure out there, and he's a rookie, he, literally first year in pro football rookie, like, well, first year in CFL, I assume first year in pro football based on his age, but, like, they would roll him out of the pocket, okay, that's closed down, okay, now I'm going to scoot out this way, and it's not a it's not a huge gain, right? It's not the 50 yards that Taylor Cornelius or a guy like that would get. But it it was a valuable gain. Oh, Willie Jefferson's got two hands on my jersey. Yes. I'm just gonna bail out oh, to the right. Give like, me a break. Uh, right? <laughs> yes. Um, as uh, we'll need to talk about Willie Jefferson at some point here, but I'm like, this kid is is really composed. And it wasn't it didn't feel like the Dustin Crum auto game in Ottawa that the bombers end up losing in overtime, right? Crum there was a certain franticness it felt like to crumb 
Um, but Powell was, you know, I'm throwing some darts. I'm stepping up in the pocket. Like he was, he was really, really good. Of the of the three young quarterbacks, the Bombers have lost to this season. To me, he was the best. I would agree with you on that. I mean, uh, Dolagala did look composed at times as well. Composure is always the measure for me. Like, what do you do with guys in your face? What do you do with a defensive end hanging on your back? And you mentioned that play. And uh, everybody in the Boston Pete's on Henderson Highway heard me yelling at the TV uh, when when uh, two hands on him. I mean, oh, come on, Powell had a sack in six games. Exactly. Oh, uh, so that's, close. Yeah. So yeah. So close. And so let's transition that conversation unless you want to go on about Powell but uh, I suspect you want to talk about well at least I want to talk about the effectiveness or lack thereof of that Winnipeg Blue Bomber defensive line when Jackson Jeffcoat is not in the lineup he's the Jackson Jeffcoat to me is like the puck over glass penalty in the National Hockey League you don't realize the impact he's going to have on the game until he's not there yeah, he's he's phenomenal. And Doug Brown talked about it a few times during the game that that they 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 attacked Haba, they attacked Celestin Haba, which makes perfect sense. Um, and they were able to you know get get Powell to the edge as Haba would lose contain, whether he's being swarmed by two guys or however it was. They they were determined. It seemed like to go after Celestin Haba and, and make him the focal point of of their attack on that front, and that makes sense. And then uh, Mike O'Shea, the coach's show, talked about Haba's just coming back from injury. So basically, in implying, well, I, I inferred from it. I don't want to put it on the coach, but I inferred from it that Haba's not in a hundred percent shape quite yet, and that that affected his uh, play as well. But I mean, Haba had a sack in the game, and he's now got four sacks in in his limited time this season. But yeah, like. To go from Jackson to anybody who would be who you'd be able to pay to back up Jackson Jeffcoat uh, is is going to be a a big drop off. So if it was just you know what we're going to get him a little more rest in advance of the bye week so he can be healthy down the stretch. If Jackson's healthy down the stretch, then I, I won't care a bit about a, a random loss in Hamilton on week fifteen, whatever week it was in the CFL. Uh, I won't care about it if if it means Jackson's healthier for the stretch run. But if it's if it's uh, indicative that Jackson's got you know his hip problem has become more nagging, then I don't know how the the late these two late season games and then the playoffs are going to go because he is integral to what they do. Okay, so um, two ratios here and and some math for you, uh, Professor. Mm, uh, the yes. insult yeah, no. to injury ratio on Casey Sales late game sack of Zach Caleros just when once again when it looked like the Bombers might be making a move. I, 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 it's it's fine. There was there was zero chance they were ever going to be able to keep Casey Sales, right? So it's not to me. It's not like a guy who abandoned the team. He. He, he went to get a paid. Ton of money. Sure. Okay. He, yeah. And uh, well, you never. Who's which? Who among us is passing up two hundred thousand uh, dollars? If you are passing up two hundred grand, invite me to, to your boat because I would love to see it. <laughs> okay. I, I, I just there was no chance you're going to keep it. It's just one of those things that you have to when you're this good a team and you have this many star players who make big salaries, you have to compromise, right? You you can't have everything you want. Everybody at home who runs a budget understands comp. Right. And this is the CFL version of it, of we can't have this stud defensive tackle because he just costs more than we could possibly afford. All right. He was so, f- I, I, filet yeah, mignon he, when you've got a is good. 
Yeah, it's a filet mignon when you've got a, a ground uh, chuck uh, budget to, at, at certain times. So it's just more indicative yeah. of how good Casey Sales is. So we've got four out of uh, Blue Bombers' last five bye weeks the Blue Bombers lose. But on the other hand, thir- of their last 13 losses, coming off their last 13 losses, is that since 17, they're uh, 12 wins, one loss. So they come yeah. back with a vengeance a- after a defeat. And I, uh, is, is the one loss would have been late last season when? Uh, yes, I the, the stat was going around. It, it, I want to say, B, was it late? Among BC? the media, the stat was yeah. In, in, there was a stat going around the media. Uh, we asked O'Shea that uh, in the Zach Kalaris area, in games where they've been concerned about winning, you know, not those late season ones where the playoff standings are already determined. They've they've never lost in the Kalaris era, coming off a loss when the game mattered. So so yeah, it, that's. Uh, Man, yeah, they're they're pretty. They're still pretty good, despite what uh, how we're all uh, searching for exits apparently <laughs> after this one to Hamilton. Well, and so we're going to preview the Toronto game in depth next week because you know we've got to have something to to talk about on the podcast next Tuesday when we sit down for this. But this just magnifies the importance of the game on the 29th. It magnifies the importance of the game October 6th in Vancouver. And maybe (laughs) as improbable as an Ottawa win in Vancouver was the improbable comeback from Vancouver to do what they did to Ottawa to basically put pull a Red Blacks on the Red Blacks and to do what Ottawa did to Winnipeg all those weeks ago at BC Place. Amazing. Uh, amazing. So, yeah, I mean, the Toronto game, I'm trying to think of what's the most important part of the Toronto game. For for me, as kind of I try to evaluate the teams going forward in both teams, it's, how okay, well, these is, are the two best defenses and two of the best offenses in the league. Okay, so what uh, what's that going to look like? Uh, for the From the Bombers' perspective, it's a chance to see, you know, a full meal of Chad Kelly and then, you know, in case if you get him in the Grey Cup, you now have that 60 minutes of against Chad Kelly uh, under your hats. And Richie Hall can take from that what he will and he can make it into a delicious stew of of beatdowns and stuff like that. So that's that one. The BC game is is enormous. Like the BC game is essentially for first place in the Canadian Football League. It's another playoff BC game. Has won- yeah, 100%. Absolutely. Uh, Winnipeg 10 and 4, BC 9 and 4 with a game in hand. A slightly easier schedule in that they have Calgary and Saskatchewan, whereas the Bombers have Toronto, and then the rest of their matchups uh, are are equal with the same opponents and stuff like that. But uh, Toronto has one more hoop to jump through than the Bombers do. The winner of that game, I mean, essentially um, should win the West, right? And get that massive advantage because I, if I'm either team... As much as I don't know that Saskatchewan is good, I still don't want to play them if Trevor Harris is back. And Harris is on the road to recovery, and he's going to start some... He's running five miles an hour on the treadmill underwater, whatever he was saying in this, his news conference last week. Uh, Harris can can pull out some playoff games. He had a six-touchdown playoff game for the Red Blacks. So you want to avoid that at all costs if you're both these teams. So that October 6th game, like that is... Mm, man, that is going to be the good. That is going to be a good one. But where they are, uh, Toronto, the Toronto game will tell us kind of 
where the Bombers are. Two highest-scoring offenses and the two, uh, I guess, the two points per game, lowest point-allowing defense in the Canadian Football League. That's going to be some atmosphere in IG Field on the 29th. As we record this, I checked the, the ticket sales during the start this morning. There were three tickets available together on the east side upper deck. And then other than that, it's only singles available for this game. So we're less than 75 tickets as we speak. And I suspect wow. that that game may officially be sold out by the time this podcast releases on Tuesday afternoon. So it's going to be a hell of an atmosphere. It's going to be a tremendous testament uh, to the popularity of the game in Winnipeg and maybe across Canada. I, I suspect there'll be lots of people in Toronto and across the country tuning in for that game on Friday night. And then for all the noise that we make and all the bluster and all the conversation, DT, about what a home field advantage it is for the Blue Bombers in Winnipeg in November, I am old enough to remember the Blue Bombers talking about the best home field advantage in the Canadian Football League in the time, in the uh, in the 80s in particular, 60,000 screaming fans in Vancouver at BC Play Stadium. I don't know if we'd see that in a West final. I'm just saying that BC Place, mm. you have that long travel, the, uh, the, the two, three zone, time zone separation between Winnipeg and Vancouver. That's a tough trip. You know, the NFL talks about the West Coast trips for their teams all the time. Yes, you're not coming from the East Coast, but you're coming from Central. But that's a huge factor that I think sometimes we forget. If the Bombers have to play a West semifinal at home, we'll say against Saskatchewan, and then have to go mm -hmm. on the road to BC, that home field advantage is not to be disregarded. Well, and, and we'll get a taste of it early next month, right? Because I I am certain the upper deck will be open for that regular season game for one. But yeah, I mean, the two time zone difference. Okay, well, let's let's go. Oh, we just played Sask, and man, can Sask hit hard. Oh, boy, that's going to be rough. The, the one thing, obviously, want that game in Winnipeg. But on a in a closed dome on a turf field, the track meet that could be of receive like these are two fantastic receiving cores. If somehow Dominic Rhymes is healthy for that time, and I'm are not you sure lobbying for the Bulu Bombers to finish second in the West so that we can see a track <laughs> meet no. in the West final? Hell Derek Taylor? No. Okay, I wanted to make but sure. Not, no, no, because again, more than sixty percent of the teams in the Grey Cup this millennium have been for number one seed. So, yeah, I want that game at home. But if it's indoors, like there's there's nothing wrong with this receiving core and Brady Oliveira working indoors, right, on consistent footing and stuff like that. It may it might lessen their advantage, right, the the run game advantage that the Bombers have. And, oh, man, did, did Brady and that O-line just plow the Lions in the in the West Final outdoors last year. But, oh, there could be some – there there'd be some uh, – if this was Madden, I might try it indoors just to see what it would look like. But no, we it, we we absolutely, as broadcasters, want that game in Winnipeg. Faux show. Okay, well, there's lots of football to happen between now and then, and maybe that is the saving grace. If you're looking at it from wanting excitement down the stretch, uh, the Blue Bombers losing and BC winning, even though the exact opposite would have been more preferable, perhaps you know, the, the long play here, DT, is some much more meaningful football down the stretch. 
Yeah, absolutely. Can we do a, a quick a few minutes on quarterbacks for, for a sec? Which quarterbacks do you want to talk about? Well, the quarterback, Zach Kolaris, because uh, there was a caller to the coaches show on Monday, which is, of course, available in the same podcast feed. If you look just before this one comes down, you'll see the coaches show. And the caller suggested that Zach Kolaris was not very good because three interceptions. But my question for you is, and I've uh, sort of seen a, a disturbing trend, and this started from, uh, I would say, about the middle of last year. And uh, Zach Kolaris has been throwing far too many interceptions in the last while. Now, like I say, last year, about the middle of last year, he started throwing a few picks at each game. And uh, this year he's already picked uh, you know, a couple games now. He's thrown three interceptions. So I, to me, that's a bit, a bit of a disturbing trend. What do you think? I'm not disturbed by it, obviously. <laughs> he's the best quarterback in the league. Uh, he's been a terrific leader for us. He's won so many games and a couple championships, <laughs> you know, to his credit um, with a great team around him too. Um, I'm sure he'd like to have a, a throwback, but a couple of those were tip balls too. Right. So, um, and then scrambling if you, you know, some of them are under duress, but uh, no, I'm, I'm not concerned. The competitor in Zach says that he, he's, going to be way harder on himself than anybody else could ever be no one's no one's going to come on here and claim three interceptions is a good result zach still leads the league in touchdowns by a mile um he zach has 10 more touchdown passes than chad kelly who is i mean chad's now the highest paid player in the league and i think he's going to be the mop nominee from the east uh because he's a quarterback of an 11 to 1 team but zach's throwing touchdowns at a about a 50 percent higher clip than chad kelly is and his interception rate, while it's the highest of Zach's career, it's still lower than Vernon Adams. And, oh, by the way, I need to I need to go in and look at this. The Bombers' offense with Zach Kolaris is averaging 10.5 yards per attempt. The league average is 8.6 as I look at this right now. Uh, this offense is incredible. Zach is the conductor of it. He's able to improvise plays. And, yes, that first interception, I, I'm just convinced, was an incredible play uh, by the left defensive end, Malik Carney. Uh, Doug Brown called it a replace. So the, the linebacker is going to blitz. Carney drops into middle zone coverage and then reads Kalaris and runs all the way to the right, stretching out to make an interception. And I go, he started left defensive end and ran all the way to the right, back and then to the right and picked the ball off. I don't know how... This is me in football. I don't know how a quarterback is supposed to know that that guy's going to be there. That is an incredible play to me. Well, it's so one of I, those. I, it's one of those plays we were calling on Richie Hall <laughs> to call more of for the Blue Bomber yeah. defense just two weeks ago on this very podcast. Right, because because Doug would say zone dog, and when he said zone dog during the broadcast, I was so happy. I was so happy because that's my favorite Doug Brown phrase. Um, and yeah, a couple of interceptions. Fine. This is the thing. Zach makes so many plays happen that other quarterbacks absolutely cannot in this league. And some of them, some of your favorite throws are, oh man, that was a real tight window. Holy cow. Uh, if you think of the banjo bowl, Dalton Schoen's going left to right and he makes kind of a spinning backwards catch on the sideline inside like the 10 yard line. I, I don't know that every quarterback throws that because the, the halfback is right there on top of him. 
But Zach's like, yeah, you know what? It's Dalton. I'm just going to try to put it here. Boom, done. And he, and he <laughs> it comes in incredible play. Like, the price of Zach making all these amazing throws and scoring all these touchdowns and getting all these wins is sometimes some are going to slip away. And I wish I had it. I wish I had it up to date for this season. But what you see when you when you just analyze the Canadian Football League is about two thirds of the throws that are in fact interceptable are actually picked off by defensive players. Right? Sometimes they hit them in the hands, things like that. But about two thirds of the throws that Kalar that CFL quarterbacks make are actually intercepted. Zach got away with with a few last year. His his uh, interceptable passes that were actually picked off last year was in the 50% range. So he got a little bit lucky with those last year. When I think of it this year, I I would I would hazard a guess he's much more in like the 80% range of his passes that are in fact interceptable or being taken away. And it's just it's some of it's bad luck too. Like he's not getting the the dropped interception luck that other teams quarterbacks are getting and there's nothing you can do about it it's up and down on the season you just have to eat it when it comes uh but i zach is to call the coach's show and say i don't think zach is very good it just boggles my mind because even with 13 interceptions tied with mayor and one behind vernon adams for the most in the league he brings so many other things that i have I have zero concern about him throwing three picks to the Hamilton Tiger Cats. If Jamal Peters gets him twice in that Toronto game after the bye, I have no concerns that Zach will will, will be in any way phased. He's going to go out there and hammer a couple to Rasheed Bailey inside the five for the score, right? It's just going to – Zach's fine. Zach's fine. His interception rate is the highest it's been in his career for a single season, but he's giving so much else that there's just zero concern on my part. We mentioned Silver Spoons earlier this season in this podcast. Derek Taylor, right? The uh, character played uh, by one of my uh, favorite actors whose name is escaping me, Jason Bateman. Jason Bateman. (laughs) Jason Bateman. His name was slipping away from me, but I caught it just in time. Bobbled the catch, bobbled the throw. Uh, If I channel uh, Mrs. Garrett, Tootie and Friends... Are we calling these the Zacks of life? Wow. You take the good, you take the bad, you take them both, and there you have the three-time MOP. When you're learning the facts of life, learning the facts of life, learning the facts of life. I'm Skyler Peters. Welcome into the film room. Fans of the Canadian Football League know not to take our brand of sport for granted. There have been challenges in the past, threatening organizations and the league as a whole. But no one could have foreshadowed what the COVID-19 pandemic would do to this great league. A cancelled 2020 season and the start of the 2021 campaign delayed. Many thought, if this league doesn't play for two straight years, we may lose our national pastime. So on August 5th, 2021, the eyes of a nation were on the Hamilton Tiger Cats and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, just like they were in the 2019 Grey Cup game, the most recent CFL game to that point 
620 days prior. Bomber fans had to wait nearly 30 years before that victory in Calgary brought them another championship, and it felt like another 30 before the banner could finally be unfurled at IG Field. You hear the crowd here at IG Field. Uh, they're standing and they're applauding as the Grey Cup championship banner has been unveiled. Nearly 30,000 rowdy fans at IG Field hungry for football. And Jeremiah Masoli was apparently pretty hungry too, forced to watch Grey Cup 107 from the sidelines after an ACL injury earlier that year in his first game action in 720 days. Pressure comes. He goes long down the left side, and it's caught for a touchdown. Ackland. Two beautiful deep balls from the Hamilton signal caller on that drive put the visitors in front 6-0, both of those coming down the Ticats' sideline. So when Winnipeg's number 8 got the ball in his hands, he felt the need to show off to the fans on the east side of IG Field as well. And now he takes off and look close down the sideline, and there goes Dembski. All it takes is one big play, man, and you know, this, is, this offense is explosive. Left back to pass. Lots of time, great protection. Moves to his right now. Polaris throws. He's got a man in the end zone. Kenny Lawler, touchdown. Blue Bombers, first of the season. Tyler Krapinga's convert would give Winnipeg the lead, and they didn't intend on looking back. After that, you know, the offense seemed to get in a little groove, and uh, we started moving the ball a little bit. And not just the offense, either. First and ten, Jeremiah Mazzoli calls for the ball. Drops back to pass. Pressure coming. Willie Jefferson intercepts. And that was a result of the pressure by Steve Richardson. The big man interception. I really just kind of retraced my steps, and then he kind of just threw it and didn't know I was going to be there. And it was just a good play by me. We've seen Willie Jefferson do that quite a few times in a Blue Bomber uniform. And that ball-hawking ability comes as a byproduct of his pass rushing. Especially when I'm getting double teamed mm -hmm. to the quarterback's uh, throwing side, which, you know what I'm saying, most of the time the boundary. So I'll get double teamed, trying to get around the edge. If I can't get around the edge, I'm trying to get back to the line of scrimmage to get in the quarterback's throwing lane. Winnipeg's defense would continue to stifle Masoli and the Tabbies for the rest of the first half, but the guys on offense had another major in them. Calaris drops back to pass and goes long for Kenny Lawler in the end zone, and he makes the catch for the touchdown. Second touchdown pass of the game to Kenny Lawler and the Bombers. Take a 13-6 lead. The defense would continue a masterclass in the second half, forcing a Hamilton safety, and Krapinga would add three more with the only field goal of the night. Final, Bombers 19, Ticats 6. The kind of game Winnipeg Blue Bomber fans have come to appreciate over the years. And with Andrew Harris serving a suspension to start this season, it was the new kid on the block, Brady Oliveira, helping bleed the clock out with some impressive runs. You know, I'm living a childhood dream right now, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, I used to I used to go to games here when I was a kid, sitting in those stands, you know, watching the Bombers play, and now the, that I'm able to experience it, have my first career start in the home opener, running out of the tunnel, it truly was a dream come true. Like Masoli, Oliveira was coming off a long wait to get back to football, injuring his ankle just two and a half games into his CFL career in week three of 2019. So you could consider the 2021 season opener a bit of a coming out party for the Winnipeg native. I started feeling a lot more comfortable around, you know, the second quarter, middle of the second quarter. Uh, things are starting to slowing, slowing down for me. And I think, you know, just from me, uh, you know, running physical, you know, 
over and over again. You know, they didn't want to come in and tackle us. Whether it was Jefferson's pick or the bully ball played up front by the guys on the O-line, this game was won in the trenches. And they showed up. We got after their quarterback uh, very well. And uh, we, we ran the ball very effectively, especially when we had to down the stretch when they knew we were going to have to run it. The Bombers moved to 1-0, and oh, and a shiny new banner was finally on display in the south end zone. But August 5th, 2021 felt like a whole lot more than football. Not quite a sellout at IG Field, but for fans who spent the better part of the past two years hanging out with just their closest friends and family, if at all, that night represented a chance to make noise alongside 30,000 of their adopted family. A rite of passage in the summertime in this country that suddenly wasn't a rite during the cancelled 2020 season. This is exactly how we wanted it. It couldn't have ended no better way. You know, first game of the season, first game on TV, back at home, fans in the stands. Even for the professionals, more than football. But as they got back to business on this 2021 season, not knowing yet that a Grey Cup rematch against Hamilton awaited them in the hammer later that year, there was a moment to soak it all in on this night. Orlando Steinhauer used to always tell me that when we were in Hamilton, it's hard to win in this league. So uh, when you get one, you got to enjoy it. And uh, you know, you can't say enough about the entire team. It's a total team effort. Today, the Bombers are back at the scene of that second consecutive Grey Cup victory, armed with the same 1-0 and o mentality they have every week. Perhaps it's a chance for us fans to remind ourselves as well that no single game should be taken for granted. I don't care what the cost is. Nick Dembski. Kalaus for Dembski! The five and a touchdown! Dylan Mitchell's going to get one on Winston Rose. Going deep for Mitchell on Rose. Got it to 20 and he's going to walk into the end zone. You know what I've learned about CFL fantasy football is that it makes me hate players. Kamar Jordan, I don't know anything about him, but I hate him now. All right, Derek Taylor, CFL fantasy. Uh... I let my kid. I'm kidding. I let my kid pick my team this past week, and he actually did pretty good. Uh, no, nice. I should say he did very well. Um, but I can't find last week's scores, only to know that he didn't go all in on Blue Bombers. Uh, he did have Brady Oliveira uh, as his flex player. I don't know how he managed to afford to do that because he went with Jake Dolagala. At quarterback, and, oh, it, yeah. and it actually sort of worked out not too bad. Uh, how did you do? What's your team name? What's uh, your team name? I'm GMAC 680. Just trying to find. Uh, you're not O-Mac Attack? In, you should be O-Mac Attack. That guy's in 36th. Yeah, yeah, that's me. No, it's not. There you go. GMAC, you're, you're number 360. 360 with uh, a for, bullet. For the week. Yeah. Yeah. With a bullet. Um, yeah. Oh, you had... Jamal Morrow? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, no, I didn't have Brady. I had Morrow and Williams from Ottawa in the backfield now that I say it out loud. Oh, you had Brady. Yeah. Oh, you did have Brady? Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Williams, Lawler, Lewis, and Morrow is your flex with Dola Gala. That's that's not bad. Who who let me down, though? Somebody must have let me down there. Oliver at 9.2, and then one of these guys was the captain, and nobody's over 20 points, so whoever was your captain let you down. Yeah, okay. Well, there we go. Very good. How about you? How did you go? Uh, I I was 251st. Uh, Brady was big. Uh, I I had a BC Lions stack working, and man, so did Doug Brown, and we both got absolutely hosed by uh, Keon Hatcher, but Doug also got hosed by Alexander Hollins 
when BC puts up all those points and none, and they don't really come from their two top receivers currently, that was a shock. So, yeah, that one, I have a real rough time with fantasy <laughs> this year. I, I, was so ha- I was so happy. Uh, I got 47 from Vernon Adams as my captain. I was so happy to pip 5.5 points from Sean Thomas Erlington at, at the absolute minimum salary, 2,500 $2, Yes. He often ends up on my team when I'm trying to do a stack. And then I, I like, oh, of course, of course he gets five points on a week where yeah. I don't, where I don't pick him. Yeah. The, it allowed me to get players like Brady Oliveira who got fewer points than Sean Thomas Erlington in fantasy and Keon Hatcher who got three points in fantasy I, Lawler Hatcher and Tim White I thought this is a how can this no receiving core possibly miss yeah you would take that uh, any day of the week if you were a general manager and, and trying to field your best team why didn't it work out in fantasy well once again they call it gambling for a reason we don't have any money only ego on the line uh 680 cjob our team at cfl fantasy uh we only have uh four teams above 1600 cumulative points for the season i'm under 1300 so shout out to sandwiches number one in our league mchawk pants at number two superman 99 and stoley all have cracked the 1600 point mark and I suspect that it's down to maybe about 20, 25 people who have a crack at uh, winning the title this year, Derek. Yeah, and uh, not me. So let's go Doug Brown. Doug Brown holding up for CJOB, maybe. I don't. It's it's pretty rough. And then uh, at least this week, this week to me there's no obvious obvious picks. Uh, Toronto's hosting Hamilton, Calgary, Montreal, Edmonton, BC, Ottawa, Sask. I feel like you can go just about anywhere you want to in this one. This will be... This will be interesting. The the teams that guys like or guys or gals like sandwiches kind of come up with because I I mean Calgary against Montreal, Calgary should be able to get some, but do you trust Calgary's offense at all? Jake Mayer, yes. <laughs> in yes. fantasy, in fantasy, yes, I trust Jake Mayer. I, he's very up and down. I still trust very him. up and down. Still trust him, and he put up two ten and two scores. Last week against Edmonton, 315 and no scores the week before. The 387 and four touchdowns against uh, Toronto, there's the one. But a lot of 190s and 130s and 140s in Mayer. So that would be, I mean, I assume you can get uh, Mayer for a, a good price. And Montreal has been, I guess they just brought in uh, Darnell Sankey, who who is all over the field in, in their game. But the middle linebacker shouldn't affect you in fantasy too much. I, every time I go with BC Lions, I get bit. It's killing me. So maybe I load up on Riders against the Red Blacks. The Riders Red Blacks game, that'll be my game to to hammer on. At least that way I'll know early on Friday if I'm done for the week or not. Are you more worried about getting uh, bitten by a lion or a great white shark? My, my, my. Once bitten, twice shy. <laughs> Derek Taylor, thanks for this. <laughs> thanks, brother. <laughs> So that's it. Don't forget to download, subscribe, and share the Blue Bomber podcast. And also, in case you didn't already know, Monday night's Coaches Show with Derek Taylor and Mike O'Shea will be automatically uploaded to the Blue Bomber podcast. So if you want to catch a rerun of that or catch it and listen to it at your leisure, you can do so by subscribing to the Blue Bomber podcast. We will recap this week's game next week. And look ahead in the Canadian Football League, focusing on, of course, your Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Thank you for spending some time with us.